Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Dungeon of Doom. We were planning to take the bye week off originally, but then we ended up taking last week off because I was out with uh, flu-like symptoms, I guess you could call it. (laughs) 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 I mean, (laughs) three-game losing streak. You got the worst defense in the league. You've got an offense that didn't score in New England. Apparently, you don't have a kicker. Uh, How how are you you feeling over there going into the bye? (laughs) Dude, man, we joke about this being a roller coaster ride covering this team. Last week, they score 45 points and lose. This week, nothing, absolutely nothing. The highest scoring offense in the league puts up a goose egg while losing to a third string, fourth round rookie quarterback to their ex head coach calling the freaking offensive plays. Like, what a gut crushing blow heading into the bye week. My God. Rock bottom is the best way to put it. Like as the Dan Campbell tenure is going, this is rock bottom so far that this felt just disgusting. You were there and it was just, I'm sure it just felt like the wind got sucked out of that team early. The moment for me and it, and it was bad in all accounts, right? The decision to, man, the decision to, to go for it on fourth and nine. And I like, I like Dan Campbell's aggression, but that decision from New England's, I believe 32 yard line. So that's a 49 yard field goal. And it's like, man, you are in the NFL. Your offense is at the 32 yard line and you're keeping the offense on the fields for a remarkably low percentage play because apparently you don't feel like you have an NFL kicker in the NFL who can make NFL kicks. Like that, that to me was the moment. It was only 6-0 at that time. And I'm like, man, you got Bill Belichick on the other sideline and everyone in the universe at this point knows you don't have a kicker. You don't trust your defense. It's going to be balls to the wall on fourth down. To me, Ben, it's no surprise they went 0-6 on fourth down and had such little success on those plays because those plays by definition, I think they they favor the offense in at least one way, which is the element of surprise and the element of urgency. But when the defense is a week to plan for it because you're going for it more often than anyone else in the league and you don't have a kicker and you don't have a defense, at least not one that you can trust, everyone knows what's coming. And, you know, Bill Belichick needs no help, but he got it. And it was ugly. And I'm up in the press box wrapping up my, I got to publish like a instant observations coming out of every game. So I'm pounding that out. That that goes up before I go down to the locker room for interviews. And I just, I, and I hear the crowd and I'm like, what are they saying? And I'm like, oh my God, they're chanting, Zappy, Zappy. And you've got the head coach, you just can, because he was so horrific, calling plays for him. And 
by the way, on paper, he's the offensive line coach, so the Lions will keep paying him. Martha F- Sheila Ford Hamp will keep signing checks for him. So design that game for a third string quarterback to beat you while the crowd chants his name like that. Like Dan Campbell used the words rock bottom, and you already mentioned it, Ben, and maybe it is. But as I alluded to in my column this week, rock bottom implies this is the bottom and it's going up from here. And I'm not sure that we can say that yeah that implies that better days are coming and maybe they are but i don't know if i can go there quite yet no that's a good point just like on that fourth and nine decision i mean it's really hard to make the analytics say you should kick it and the analytics were like kick it all day kick it all day just jarring but i hear you because it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel for that defense that defense doesn't feel like it's going to get better anytime soon i wouldn't be hitting the red alarm buttons for the offense just yet. That was New England. That was Bill Belichick's defense. And they had some hobbled playmakers and some 0 for 6 on fourth down. Just like that. It's hard to imagine a repeat performance of that going forward. But yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe this is rock bottom. Maybe it isn't. They got a week to try and get it back on the right track before another tough one. In the meantime, Ben, our idea for this week for the podcast, and again, we weren't even planning on on, on doing one this week because of the pie, but we also took last week off because I was out just sweating my ass off (laughs) with the flu or whatever. You definitely didn't want to hear from me last week. So with everything, I mean, the the skies feel like, it just feels like it's falling on this team right now. Everything is going wrong. So it felt like a good time for a mailbag, which are always fun. I do one every week in print uh, on MLive. We've done a couple of them on the podcast and those have also been fun. So I opened it up on Twitter and got like 90 responses already. So clearly there's some fired up people out there. <laughs> Two hours. Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> got a lot of good questions. Some of them I like a lot. Some of them I don't like as much, but maybe drive it at narratives I see out there or things that are on people's minds. And one of those, Ben, is the uh, firing, right? Like it's the NFL is a result-oriented business and everyone understands that. But I think sometimes you don't get a lot of space to do your thing. And, you know, it, when things aren't going right, the first questions usually are, who can we fire? And you're hearing that a lot. You're seeing that a lot. I disagree with some of that stuff, but it's obviously out there and people are wondering about it. So we're going to start there. And then we got a nice batch of questions here. We can roll on until we hit our time limit. So first, Ben, this question comes from Paper Lions 79 I understand the frustration with Campbell's coaching and he needs to definitely improve, but don't you think Lions fans are a little premature in calling for his firing? Look at the roster he inherited last year versus the one Stat Pat inherited. This rebuild will take at least three years. Your thoughts on just the job security of Dan Campbell? Yeah, I do think that anybody saying the F word has jumped the gun aggressively and you probably need to temper your own expectations heading into this season. I think I think that's the mess he inherited wasn't going to be fixed in a year and a half. There are still 21 players from the Matt Patricia's last coach team here in Detroit. That's a lot of stuff. And that guy spent two and a half seasons trying to hammer a square peg into a round hole. There was a lot of holes to fix here. They still don't have their long-term answer at quarterback. And yes, some of these losses have been self-inflicted or helped to be self-inflicted by some of Campbell's mistakes. But I think it's premature to even talk that way about Aaron Glenn, too, just looking at the defense. He's inherited some of the things he did down the stretch, put in a new scheme this year, and obviously it's bad. It is a results-oriented business, and they are heading in the wrong direction in that regard. There should be signs of progress at this point of the rebuild, but I do think it's really important to remember the mess they inherited What? 17, 18 months ago. So I really do think anybody saying the F word for any of the coordinators or the head coach really just need to chill, reevaluate that at the end of the season, and then temper your expectations a little bit more because I think it might have got carried away a little bit there. 
I think Dan Campbell said it well yesterday, which is no nobody expected them to be one and four at this point. So yes, they are in a rebuild. They're not a finished product. And I think one thing that maybe Hardox did a disservice to this team is everyone fell in love with them during the summer. Fans and viewers fell in love with this coaching staff and these players during the summer. And maybe expectations got a little like out of out of pace with where they were in this rebuild. And so expectations maybe were higher than where this team was. And that leads to disappointment. So I can understand that. But Dan, like Dan said, it, it, like this is the second year of a rebuild and a results oriented league. One and four is not good enough. Three straight losses. are It's simply not good enough. Even for a rebuilding team, like you'd expect basic competency at this point in most ways with your program, even if it's not a finished product. And we don't have basic competency on defense. The offense is in good shape. I think it shows like it shows some of the good that Dan Campbell has done, which is when Anthony Lynn wasn't working out, he gave Anthony Lynn eight games and demoted him, stripped him of all of his power basically, and canned him at the end of the year. Like he didn't mess around. And that chain of events that led to you having one of the best highest scoring offenses in the league by year two. Like that's good stuff. That's the kind of progress you expect. But you haven't seen it on defense and that's what's holding this team back. And I think is leading to a lot of the dramatic aggressive play calling from Dan Campbell is to cover up for a, a team that's still deficient on defense. It's not even it, it, competent. It's not even bad. It's the worst in the league. And they'll tell you they saw progress in New England and maybe they did. And they'll point to all the field goals they held New England to. But I'm sorry, man, third string quarterback and you don't force a punt until the fourth quarter. One week after you didn't force a punt at all against a bottom five offense in the league, maybe Seattle is better than we thought. Ben, that's not good enough. And that to me is where they need to make fixes and make changes. But that doesn't mean you throw the whole freaking rebuild in the trash can like that, that. Then you go through more scheme overhauls and more roster overhauls. And you're talking about, oh, maybe in 2024, we're good. It, like that's... You're just going to put yourself in perpetual mediocrity. And I know that's where the lines are anyway, but you can't make future decisions based on the past things that didn't work. And firing Campbell 22 games in would be impetuous. He needs time. And I think he's done a good enough good things to, to see this thing through for at least the rest of this season. And I would be shocked if he were fired before 2023. And I think that's also fair yeah and it uh, just feels like the same conversation we had two years ago about matt patricia just i don't know i'm with you so this one comes from d curtains why haven't they fired ag yet and how many more losses until they start moving in a different direction staff wise thoughts i think we just said a lot of the things why they haven't it's 22 games into this rebuild why haven't they fired him because the season is still only five games young for this team right now and i'm not saying it won't happen we're still having these same conversations four or five weeks from now and this defense is still rock bottom going in the wrong direction then maybe that conversation opens and you see a little repeat situation of last year but i just think aaron glenn has a lot of, done a lot of good things there's been a lot of culture building things obviously it's not translating to the field yet and it has to it should be at this point i get that frustration but like you said I, it's five games into his new attacking mindset defense they didn't upgrade a lot of areas where they should have on that defense their second round pick from last year still isn't on the field their second round pick from this year still isn't on the field They're, and i'm not trying to make excuses for them i think firing aaron glenn would do more harm than good as things stand right now talk to me at the end of the season talk to me in a month and a half or so but right now i just think let him see if he can figure this thing out yeah for me dan campbell's job security is not 
under examination. Like he's done some things well and he's done a, some things very poorly and all that stuff needs to be examined and corrected going forward. But for me, Aaron Glenn is in a different boat, but this is a result oriented business. You're in year two, you've had two swings at free agency, two swings at the draft to redo this thing. That's maybe it's not a finished product, but basic competency should be there. And it's not, they're not even competent. The, what do they do? Well, there's nothing they do. Well, they just draft, they just spent a number two overall pick on a pass rusher. They spent a, a bunch of money to bring back Charles Harris and you pressured the quarterback two times, two times in new England. That's not good enough. It hasn't been good enough all year. The first half against Washington was spectacular. And otherwise everyone on that pass rush, including Aiden Hutchinson has been a disappointment to this point. And that's not to say Hutchinson's a bust. He can't become the player that he's expected to be. I, like he's five games into his career. I'm not making anything, any kind of sweeping declarations. But when you make no upgrades on that side of the ball, really, and the few investments you do make, like Josh Pascoe, like Aiden Hutchinson, just aren't delivering. And in year two, you are allowing the most points in the league and getting beat by third string quarterbacks. Yeah. If you're the coordinator, I, like you can be the most well-liked coordinator of all time, which Aaron Glenn is like <laughs> trending that way. <laughs> Your job security af after two years, will it should be in question. And so he's, Aaron Glenn is, I'd be, again, stupefied if he got fired in season. Like, it's yeah. just not going to happen, especially in a rebuild. But he has the rest of this season, Ben, to figure out what the hell is going on and to find solutions. And I'm not talking about having a top 10 defense. I'm talking about a defense that can get a third down stop against a third string quarterback. I'm talking about a defense that can allow fewer than 35 points a game. And if he can do it, maybe he buys himself some time. And he should, because I think he's a good teacher and a good coach and well-liked, but you can be all those things. And if you're not delivering even the most basic levels of competency two years into your job, yeah, your job security should be questioned. It's weird to say because everyone likes Aaron Glenn. I like Aaron Glenn. I really enjoy talking to him Every week I learn stuff from them, but results are into business and no one's ask, asking for a top 10 defense, but a top 31 defense might be nice. <laughs> okay, Ben, one more job security question just to get these out of the way and, and then move into some more nuanced stuff. So Doug Evans asks, is someone already on the hot seat in Detroit? What do you think, Ben? Is there somebody on the hot seat for you? No, but I do think Aaron Glenn is on the hottest of seats and I would say Probably all the defensive coaches are on the warmest slash hottest of seats. There's been a lot of investments in the defensive line, and that's a group that's kind of fallen on its face so far. And like you said, two pressures last week, and one of those was a missed sack. There's just been investment where there haven't been on other areas of this team into that defensive line. I think Aaron Glenn, Todd Walsh, you got to start seeing progress there. I don't think Kelvin Shepard's in any risk there. Just, I mean, look at Malcolm Rodriguez and what he's been able to do as a rookie. There's obviously talk about likable guys and guys you can learn something with that's a guy at the top of the list right there and uh you know Aubrey Pleasant I mean he's right up there with some of those those struggles too but I would say Aaron Glenn's seat is the hottest other than that I, I really don't think there's anybody else on the true hot seat yeah we're five games in I agree with you that Todd Wash probably has the most to prove on staff going forward given the investment to that position and then the just sheer lack of results. And I think with Aiden Hutchinson, it's getting frustrating to see Aiden. He's not winning a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups. And even when he does and he gets into the backfield, I don't know if I, my eyes can stand to watch him overrush the quarterback <laughs> one more time, especially when that quarterback is Bailey Zapp. Like I, I give him a pass on Jalen Hurts, especially considering that was his first career game. But 
Bailey Zapp is not Jalen Hurts. And to watch him do the exact same thing because Hutchinson gets too eager is tough to see. And that's a coaching point they have to reinforce going forward. I would say, though, for me, the guy who's really on the hot seat, like the training staff will have some hard questions to answer. And that's the best way that I can put it. Because I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, the Lions have all of these injuries because they aren't training correctly or enough. They're going too hard. They're not going hard enough. Training camp was this or that. I hear certain people in the media talking about that stuff in certain terms. And that feels misguided to me because we don't know what the root cause of these injuries are. But I do know that like every team goes through injuries, every single team. So the teams playing in the playoffs and the teams playing in the Super Bowl have weathered injuries. The freaking New England Patriots just started their third string quarterback and won a game 29 nothing. Like that's what teams do, good teams do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teams like the Lions, I think they have a lot of talent, but they're revealing themselves to not have enough depth to be good in this league because as soon as you start to incur injuries, you can tip them over with like your index finger. That's where they're at. But having said that, they had, in terms of just talent loss because of injuries, they were top five last year in the league. This year, they're back in the top five again. They have injuries all over the place and particularly on the offensive line to open the year, you know, Vitae, Kramer, Jackson. I mean, we've seen three different linemen go down with practice injuries, which I think is pretty, pretty uncommon. And then lately, Ben, obviously it's in the secondary where Tracy Walker blew out his Achilles. That's three Achilles in in two years for this team, all defenders. That's, again, a freaky occurrence. And all the injuries that go through them all, I don't know if I can go through all of them without notes in New England because it was substantial. Savion Smith, Deshaun Elliott, Jeff Okuda, Will Harris, uh, Efedu Melifanwu. I don't know. I'm probably missing somebody or multiple somebodies. I don't know. But like when you run out of safeties... That's a problem. I've been doing this job for 10 years. I can't remember a single time when I saw a team run out of players at a position. And that could be bad luck. It, it, it could be any number of things. But they, I know they are going to do that evaluation and they need to ask some tough questions about their training regimen, what they're doing to get guys right, to keep guys with the rehab processes like and treatment and so forth, because they do have injuries for the second straight year that are like not commensurate with the league average, the well, well above the league average. And so those are like that for me, I don't know if that's a hot seat or not, but those are questions the Lions will have to answer for themselves. Okay. So Tyler Reinhold asks, and he's a regular, what's up, Tyler? Where are the Lions right now compared to where you thought they would be? I still think this team is on the right track long-term, but injuries seem to have derailed seeing the improvement I think most of us were hoping for. What do you think, Ben? Uh, you know, I... Win loss record one and four didn't expect it. I think I had them at two and three going into the bye with a tough early schedule. But the main thing where I expected them to be was what we've been saying: competent on defense, not ranked thirty first against the run, not ranked thirtieth against the pass, not in the bottom five of the league in red zone defense, third down defense, red zone defense. I expected to see steps in the right direction. I expected to see more of a pass rush this season. Those things have not happened yet. I, I did not see Amani Hawarie getting benched five games into the season. Like there, there are a lot of key things this defense needed to happen to go, and it just has not happened. I did not expect them to be losing games twenty nine to nothing to a third string quarterback led New England Patriots. Team. I did not expect them to lose a 48-45 shootout to frickin' Geno Smith. That's where my expectations are. But I had them at two and three. I had them struggling through these first five games. I didn't have them at a one and four with a shutout loss going into the bye week. Win-loss record, I was in that realm, but just the defense. I was expecting more out of the defense. They invested, they've invested what they've invested into the defensive side of the ball, it feels like in those first two drafts, and it's just not clicking yet. And I expected it to start clicking. I didn't expect an elite defense. I expected a 
top 24, 23 defense didn't feel like too much to ask, but now it feels like a stretch. We just put so much into every result. And when they beat Washington and Amon Ra goes crazy, then everyone goes crazy. And when they lose three games, it feels like, hey, Dan Campbell is on the hot seat, which again, we're seeing that kind of stuff and hearing that kind of stuff. And it's ridiculous. It's over the top and dramatic and knee jerk. And the last thing you want to do with a process like this is be knee jerk. It's a process and they won what would they win three games last year? You just want to see progress this year. That you want to see pursuit of something better and a foundation being laid going forward. And I think that's something that we lose sight of, especially with the expectations swelling coming out of hard knocks and with how well the offense was playing in training camp. I really believe this thing always was being built with 2023 in mind and especially 2024 in mind. And there's been a lot of hints along the way that was their intention, even if they weren't necessarily using the word rebuild or talking in those terms. The drafting of Jamison Williams, I think, is an excellent example. Excellent because that guy, he might have been wide receiver one in this draft if he didn't blow out his knee. He blew out his knee in the national championship game, his ACL, which put him on a long timeline for return. But that injury has a close to 100% return rate these days, especially for a guy that young. So it wasn't really a met, like a long-term concern. It was just, are you going to burn a first-round pick on a guy that you're only going to get for about three and a half or four and a half years, depending on whether you exercise the rookie option? And they took him. That, and not only did they take him, but they gave up draft picks. And not only did they give, they give up draft picks to go get him, but they did it with a division rival, knowing he wouldn't play until late October at the earliest, maybe November. You're really talking about December before, maybe, maybe December before he's a full-time player. You obviously made this draft pick with 2023 in mind. If you really thought you were that close to competing this year and that one more first round pick or the extra picks in the later rounds as, as it stood with the word chest, then you would have gone that way for people, for players who could help you this year. But they didn't do that. Because I, and I, I, just, I really believe that they went for the best possible player that would help them in the long term, 2023, 2024. I guess maybe that's a long way of answering this question, but like my expectations were always... I circled in my calendar 2023 and especially 2024 if you go get the quarterback in 2023, which I expect them to do. I expect them to draft a quarterback next year. Usually those guys, it's year two at least before they're like their full thing. So if that's the case, it's really 2024 with this rebuild. It's been a spectacular disaster to this point on defense. And that's not to say they can't turn it around because I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for Aaron Glenn and what they're doing, but we have not seen it. It's dysfunctional at this point. They're allowing more points. They're, ben, they're allowing points faster than Matt Patricia ever did open a season. Oh, that's how dysfunctional it is right now. They just set a record for the most points allowed in the first five games of any season. A franchise record. There's a lot of things not to like and to be discouraged about. And that doesn't mean you should start rolling heads, but you need to see changes in progress going forward because it has they have failed in certain ways to this point. David Alexander asks, I feel for year two of a rebuild, this team should be further along, kind of echoing what we were just talking about. Other teams rebuilding have done so quicker. What's holding the Lions back? Such a young team, coaches learning on the job. I don't buy injuries because every team deals with them. I thought that was a pretty well-worded, rational, reasonable question. Ration and reason sometimes are in great supply on Twitter. I liked that question. What do you think? What's holding back this team in year two? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'm not going to use injuries as an excuse either because every team does deal with them. But I do think the lack of depth at linebacker, the lack of depth in the secondary has really held this team back from competing in year two all the things we just talked about that defense i think there's been a real lack of attention to the linebacker position to the secondary obviously 
you got back-to-back second-round picks who, one, can't get back on the field, and every update sounds more grim on him, and then this year still hasn't played yet. you got a top-15 wide receiver pick who hasn't played yet. I mean, that stuff's going to hold you back when your top draft capital resources aren't on the field, aren't on the practice field, aren't competing. You know, that was a long-term approach to those drafts, and right now I think it is holding them back in the now, in the right now. And I do think the coaches learning on the job is playing a huge factor into it. I still think Dan Campbell is finding his true identity between aggressiveness and how he wants to handle those fourth downs. I think he's always going to be one of, if not the most aggressive head coach in the NFL, as long as he has that job. But I do think he's still trying to find that right balance and trying to figure out what works for him. So I do think it is a youthful coaching staff figuring their way out with a roster that's lacking playmakers in areas and ass kickers in areas where they need them. And I, I think that is holding them back right now is those top level draft capital investments not helping now that's a short-term issue we'll see what happens in the long term like i said but i do think right now in the now that's holding them back yeah i agree and to build on your point Ben, as you can hear with these questions a lot of them are about dan campbell's job security aaron glenn's job security are these guys not meeting expectations in year two and the down call getting magnified because of what happened in minnesota because of the 0 for 6 on fourth down in New England, the fourth and nine debacle where Rogoff fumbled the ball and it gets brought back for for a touchdown. Like the like so, some of these calls, Ben, are symptoms of greater problems, not problems themselves. And I think, as you said, Dan's he's always going to be an aggressive guy, but he's going for on fourth and nine from the Patriots thirty-two because he doesn't trust his defense and he doesn't believe he has an NFL kicker who can make an NFL kick. So that's why he's going for it. It was like in his mind, his decision was not keep the field goal or go for a fourth and nine. His decision was go for a fourth and nine or look ridiculous and punt from the 32. Like it was just outside his kicker's range where he had confidence. So he's like, I might as well go for it here because the potential payoff is greater than than just kicking it 20 yards down the field and letting New England take over there. That's a symptom of a greater problem, which is Brad Holmes not addressing the kicker situation in a meaningful way. And the personnel moves he made on defense are not working. Or they're a misassessment of what they had with with some of these guys they brought back. And Charles Harris, even before the injury, was pretty ineffective. And they brought back Alex Anzalone, a linebacker. I mean, Alex is a great guy and, and club, you know, locker room guy, but he's not a great linebacker and they're suffering for it. So Brad Holmes is the one who I find more fault for this start. Like a lot of the things Dan Campbell doing that are questionable, all the fourth downs, the fourth and nines, like these are symptoms of a greater problem, which is you don't have a defense that you can trust. You don't have a kicker you can trust. Brad tried to address stuff on defense in the draft, and I'm pulling it up right now. Second round pick this year, Josh Pascal has not played. Third round pick, Kirby Joseph, because of injuries, he's being pressed to play. I think he's played a little better than I expected, given that he hadn't played at all early in the season, but he's not a difference maker. Last year, it's even worse. Levi Anzarike in the second round, 41st pick overall bet, hasn't done jack shit. And based on Campbell's assessment recently that he's not making any progress and the meter's still not moving, I think is what the direct quote was, he's not going to do jack shit for a while, if ever. I don't know. He's got a back injury. Those things are unpredictable. Maybe that's why Campbell sounds like he does when he talks about it, but that does not sound like a good situation. Melifanu in the third round, he hasn't done jack shit. Same, I'm on Ross St. Brown in the fourth round. a tremendous pick. Rodrigo in the fifth round this year, tremendous pick. There have otherwise been a lot of misfires in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. And we are feeling those 
misses, at least to this point, I don't want to call anyone a bust just a year or two into their thing, but those misses to this point, not getting contributions from a litany of second and third round picks to this point is detrimental to this defense. And you're feeling, you would have felt the effects anyway, but once you start factoring in the injuries and you need to rely on your depth, but there's no depth there because of all the picks you're not getting anything from, that is where you end up with a situation that you see where they're just not capable of playing even competent football. And hey, point the finger at Aaron Glenn if you want. And ultimately they will, if it continues to trend this way, that's just the way it works in this league. It's on Aaron Glenn to find solutions to the problem. But the problem is not Aaron Glenn. Biggest problem is to this point, I think Brad Holmes has missed way too many times and they are hurting for it. So Ryan Harris asks, defensive struggles, do you think it's a talent issue or a scheme issue? This is the big thing right now. I think I probably just answered this question too with my little tangent. But what do you think, Ben? What for you is the big problem on defense right now? Gosh, it's. I think it's a talent scheme. It goes seriously when they can't get pressure when they rush more than four or three, and they can't cover anyone when they rush more than four or three. So I do think it's a talent issue. Like you said, Melifonwu can't stay on the field. Kirby Joseph is thrust to action, and yeah, he's playing better, but he's still a project. That's still a project out there playing every single defensive rep. So it is. You just nailed it. I put a lot of these defensive struggles on the level of talent on that defense and on Brad Holmes' shoulders. I, I, just to add to your point, that's how the Rams kind of built their decade of success was him hitting, him helping them hit in the third and fourth and fifth and sixth round while leading their college scouting department. It just has not happened through dra two drafts here yet. I do look at the talent because I look at the first half of that Washington game and I saw like a defensive identity. I saw what they've been talking about, what they wanted to do for a long time. But I, I think the scheme is there. I do like the direction of that and some of the things I've seen there. Obviously, it's been a couple of weeks since I felt anything positive about that defensive scheme, but I do think it's a talent issue. I think right now the main issue with that defense is the lack of depth and the lack of talent, and they just don't have an ass-kicking playmaker on that defense. There's just not one there. They need one of those. Agreed. And maybe the scheme is, maybe there's something wrong with the scheme. I just don't think we can even evaluate it right now yeah. when you've got Chase freaking Lucas. <laughs> Or you got Bobby freaking Price. I don't have his snaps in front of me. You might even know because you did the snap count. But like when you got guys like that playing so far out of position and you just don't have talent because of all, they didn't, again, we didn't get to the free agency where they really bypassed mm -hmm. the opportunity to improve this defense. They brought back Tracy Walker, which I think you and I are totally on board with. Charles Harris was, he had the seven and a half sacks last year, but to make to say this guy who one time had seven and a half sacks, this is the guy we want to pay and continue to build around because we think more growth is there. You know, he's going to be capable of giving it to us. I think might have been presumptuous, maybe is the word, especially in lieu of getting any more upgrades. I think their biggest defensive upgrade in free agency was Deshaun Elliott, who has been one of the worst safeties in the league. And they just tried to bench him for a practice squad cornerback named Savion Smith. And I know Smith, he got he suffered the injury, two snaps in the game. So Elliott was out there anyway. But that is to show you the lack of personal upgrades on that side of the ball. They really wanted to go with the youth movement on that side, really trusted their draft picks. Half their draft picks, early round picks on that side of the ball are now on injured lists or just not playing and it's just not happening. And there's obviously a lot of miscalculations there and they're hurting for it. And that's a personnel issue and it makes evaluating the scheme. You can't even go down that road right now because they just don't have the pieces to do it. Um, so Seth gave us a question. Is there any chance Brad Holmes gets on the phone and attempts to trade for a Carolina defender? <laughs> Thanks. Really feels like the Dungeon of Doom. And he said he really feels the Dungeon of Doom lately, which is very kind. Thanks, Seth. I'd right. like to throw him in there. I'm always a sucker for a compliment. So, Ben, any chance to for you that Brad Holmes gets on the horn with Carolina and tries to make something happen? And just yeah. for those unaware, Carolina's can their coach. They also only have four or five draft picks next year. So there's a lot of 
conjecture about whether they'll be shipping away players this year to acquire picks down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I just read that national report this morning that the CBS Sports expects teams to call on McCaffrey, Moore, Brian Burns, and Derek Brown in the middle there. And I would absolutely at least call to see if they're selling any of those young defensive pieces. The Panthers invested a ton into those into the defensive side of the ball in the 2020 draft. And I wouldn't go nuts, but like you said, the Panthers might need some picks. They might be selling some stuff off for the next regime. We'll see. Brad Holmes has some picks. I wouldn't be dangling first rounders out with so many holes on this roster, but if you could get somebody talking about a JC Horn or a Brian Burns or a Derek Brown for a couple of third round picks, I would absolutely make that call and see if you could get something working. Just because, I mean, there's some young defensive talent on that Panthers team that just hasn't worked out yet. Derek Brown, I mean, we were talking about him in the mix for that pick with the Lions a couple of years ago. JC Horn has really shown some stuff and Brian Burns is a certified freak. Nine sacks in each of the last two seasons, 24 pressures in five games already this year, four sacks. I, if you can get him without selling your future or mortgage in a decent chunk of your future, absolutely, if you're willing to pay to keep him around. And I think that's what it would take to get a deal done on someone like that. I don't want to speculate too much, but I would absolutely place a call and be like, yo, what's up? What you looking for? Absolutely. 100% call. Yeah, I would call too. I, I think that you know, these questions, and I get them all the time mid-season with things are not going well. And it just gets repetitive telling people why deals like this don't happen in the NFL. I mean, you, you can't just acquire a star player for a seventh round pick. It just doesn't happen. But to acquire a difference maker, it's going to, yeah. you're going to have to pay a difference making fee, like draft picks usually, and in Carolina's case, especially. And the Lions, no matter what they do this year, are not going to the Super Bowl. Like newsflash, like it's just not going to happen. What? Like, yeah, like they're not a real contender. And maybe they can get things in order enough to make some kind of like outlier push to the postseason. But even if they did that, they would just get stomped on in the first round. They're not winning anything this year. So they shouldn't give up anything real meaningful unless you can get a real bounty for it. And I'm not talking about a 33-year-old that can be some kind of stopgap. And I like the names you threw out there. J.C. Horn, Derek Brown. I think these are like young, quality, nucleus type players. But again, like players like that usually cost more than I think what the Lions should pay I think you're much better off using those picks to acquire players you can control for four or five years. Yeah, that's how the NFL is it runs. That's how the Rams built their thing initially, built the foundation of their teams with draft picks, and that's what the Lions will do. And burning first, second round picks to acquire like players who are already partially through their rookie contracts right. probably doesn't make a lot of sense for a team in the still the early days of a rebuild. But Having said that, I think there is some uniqueness to the Panthers situation where they're going to be having probably a fire sale because they've already beheaded Matt Rule. They have, I don't have it in front of me. I wish I did. They have, I think, four draft picks next year or something like that. They're really, because of trades they've already made and so forth. So they might be desperate to offload some of the guys they do have to acquire picks for their rebuild going forward. And so that might be kind of a unique situation where you can get a discount on a guy like a Brian Burns or whatever. But short of that, then I just don't think the Lions should be in the business of selling off assets at this point in the rebuild because they're not going anywhere this year anyway. It's That's basically where it stands. All right, Ben, this one comes from Lions lover for poor guy. <laughs> Looking at a schedule, what does success look like in the final 12 games in terms of wins or losses? And I don't know if you have the schedule up in front of you. That probably would be helpful. But they're one of four. Yeah. Get the week off. They come back to a tough schedule against Dallas, Miami, and Green Bay. Then they get Chicago. And there's a bunch more difficult games through Thanksgiving. And good God, they play Josh Allen on Thanksgiving. I would like to preemptively apologize to America for what you're about to see because it's not going to be 
compelling football on Thanksgiving. But Ben, what's your what does success look like for you? I guess this season going forward with them, just where with where they're at right now. I, out of these next four games after the bye, you got to go five hundred in those. You have to get two wins there at least. I know it's tough. Dallas, Miami's going through some things at quarterback. Green Bay and that trip to Chicago. You cannot lose to Chicago. That's like the rock bottom to me if they lose in Chicago against that team. But this schedule it looks a lot tougher than it did earlier in the season with New York at four and one beating the Packers last week. That's a tough road trip. Goodness gracious, these next six games, the way this team is playing looks ugly. I honestly, success to me as things stands, competent defense, get the defense in the top 24 of the league by the end of the season, get to five or six wins. That's what success from this point moving forward is. Get four or five wins down the stretch after the bye. Get that defense out of the absolute cellar. I'm not looking for a top group, but get that defense in the top 24, top 23. Show growth. Like you said earlier, show that foundation, show why you deserve not to be on the hot seat, why that talk is ridiculous. You have to show progress down the stretch. And these next six games out of the bye, that's going to be tough to do, but it's got to happen now. It's got to happen fast. doesn't help that the Giants and the Jets both look like they're maybe back. So I think the schedule is a lot more difficult than it looked initially. But you do have the Bears. They already almost beat the Vikings once before, while improved, are not like real contenders. They actually have two games left against the Bears. Yeah. So there's some winnable games. And I think four or five is a realistic, it's a real, that's a realistic expectation. So you're looking at about six wins maybe for the year, which would double your wins from last year. And I guess that puts you on course for the rebuild. I agree with you. I think the bigger question the wins and losses is seeing material growth on on defense you want to continue to see growth on offense as well obviously but the defense is a problem and you need to see something because if you don't then you're going to have to rebuild some things going forward and uh, that's going to be just set you back even further all right from dr ken was hard knocks too good at distributing the kool-aid for the lions faithful and getting their hopes up too high by showing off the personalities I don't think anyone expected them to be this bad to start the season. Yeah, I think Hard Knocks definitely, I mean, there was already a decent amount of blue Kool-Aid flowing headed into this season, but I think Hard Knocks definitely set people up for disappointment, at least through this first couple of weeks here. Listen, it was a fun watch, but that was five weeks of overselling this team. It was like five weeks of positive footage for the most part. It was five weeks of just like good PR for the Lions is the best way to put it, and I do think it set people up kind of thinking playoffs. This is a playoff team, right? Playoff. They're on HBO. I feel great every time I turn off the TV Sunday night. So I do think it set people up for failure. And yeah, it was a great experience for the team, I'm sure, and the fans and stuff to get inside looks at everything like that. But yeah, that hype train got rolling. And that's what a spotlight from HBO heading into the season when there are no real football games on will do for you. So I I do think that is contributing to the kind of widespread panic right now after feeling so good for a bit there. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I would say I don't think Hard Knocks was necessarily like when, like when Hard Knocks came in, Ben, I was really curious to see how well it would align with the reality of Allen Park and how much of it would be like Hollywoodified, right? Like narrative driven, like really trying to pull things out that weren't really there because it could make for a tight little like story arc on a TV show. You know what I'm saying? And in the end, I feel like they actually were very representative of what we see every day, of what this coaching staff is about, what the players are about. There wasn't a whole lot that I saw that felt forced in terms of like they were showing. So the good things that you felt because you liked how they were doing things or what they were saying or whatever, that stuff is still real. But at the end of the day, you have to play good football too. And you have to have good football players more than anything. And not to keep being a dead horse, but I just think they don't have enough good players, particularly on defense. And if you don't have good players, you're not going to win this league, especially once you start 
incurring injuries, which everyone does. And that's what we're seeing. Two, two quarterback pressures, not sacks, pressures against Bailey Zappi. Of course, Zappi played as well as he did because he could sit back there and have a ham sandwich and still find his guy for 20, 30 yards down the field, right? Like we saw that all afternoon. Like anyone could have done that, including a third string quarterback. And I wrote this in my column, but it's remarkable to watch this team for 10 years. Like I've been on this beat since 2013. And since I've been on this beat, Ben, they have lost every single game where their starting quarterback did not start. And that's that might be like a little over the top, but that's how it is for most teams starting a backup quarterback. The New England wasn't even starting its backup. It was starting its third string quarterback. They won 29 nothing. Like it's a talent issue and they didn't do enough on defense. And that's being now magnified by all the yeah. injuries that are happening. And he leaves you with a team that's playing some dreadful football. And and that's where we are. And like the stuff you saw in Hard Knocks, it's still what this team is about culturally and what they're trying to build long term. But in the short term, you can't win games on good juju. That doesn't work. And that's where they're at. All right. Eric Kipple fan wants to know the Broncos recently hired an assistant to help the head coach with in-game decision making and analytics. Is it time the Lions hire a similar assistant or custodian to assist Dan Campbell with in-game decisions and fourth down calls? I can just take this one real quick and we can move on. The Lions do have somebody like that. They have a whole analytics department and they have somebody up in the tower upstairs during games who's crunching all the numbers and going by the book that they've that they've written basically of when this is happening that this is how we want to react based on the numbers and how we feel about the numbers they have that and that person's on the headset helping them they, they like dan campbell's just an aggressive guy they want to go for fourth downs that'll always be the case that's just probably more dramatic right now more extreme right now because everything else that's happening on that side of the ball. But it's not like Dan Campbell's out there freewheeling clock decisions and fourth down decisions. They do have the guy that Broncos just hired. They have that position in Detroit already, but it's obviously just not working right now. Okay. Terrence Trent Darby wants to know, outside of two late round picks, what has Brad Holmes done in the draft or free agency that leads us to believe he is good? Performance is really bad, non-existent so far from all of his guys not named St. Brown ready to go. Ben, what do you think on just Brad Holmes and, and what he's been able to do? Yeah, free agency is a wait and see on that answer because it's been a lot of retreads, bringing guys back, one-year deals, and correct me if I'm wrong, but DJ Chark is the sexiest free agent addition over two off-seasons for free agency outside of re-signing their own guys. It's been the long-term approach to the drafts it's been the long-term approach trying to build this thing from the inside through free agency yeah it's a that's a fair point we've hit it on the head a couple of times melifon who can't stay healthy levi oh every update on that dude is more grim than the last it seems like you said campbell's tone last week was like oh god we might not see that guy for a while. Even Jamar Jefferson stuck on the practice squad. James Houston is a project on the practice squad. That was a six-round pick this year. You're just not seeing you're not seeing the impactful mid and late round picks that he helped hit the Rams hit on through his decade leading their college scouting department. And you're not seeing that here. A lot of that is the long-term approach that they're taking. But like you said earlier, they had a chance to fill some holes on that defense and free agency. And they took the wait and see approach once again on guys they wanted to bring back like the Tracy's last, the previous off season, it was Romeo. Now both of those guys have blown out Achilles and one is still working his way back. And one still might be another year away from coming back. It's just, it's so it's an incomplete grade. It's an incomplete grade. It's a negative grade, but it's one that's still incomplete. A lot of these guys just, you can't get three of his top picks over his first two drafts on the field. 
and Melifonwu can't stay healthy. That was a third round pick. Is Kirby Joseph thrust to action, but they've been calling him a project since the end of camp, as I already said. So outside of St. Brown and Rodriguez, there are a lot of question marks here. There's been a lot of risks on injured guys, and there haven't been too many risks at all in free agency. DJ Chark is the sexiest free agent addition in two off seasons, and that's on a one-year deal. So it's an incomplete right now, but it's trending in the wrong direction. And it needs to <laughs> get that arrow pointed in the other way here soon. Yeah, I agree. And I, yeah, I think we've hit the Brad Holmes point here pretty hard. I, it's interesting to me, all the things being pointed at the end, Campbell. When I look at it, I see Brad Holmes's failures to this point or incompletes, as you put it, being a bigger reason for what's going on than anything Dan Campbell has done personally. Just two small points in that whole conversation. One is with Kirby Joseph, third round pick. He did just move to safety last year, at least full time, when he was at the University of Illinois. So he's very new to that position. So when they say project, like I can understand it. And if you think, going back to our conversation earlier, Ben, about this being a long-term rebuild and with your eye on 23 and especially 24, if you think Kirby Joseph is the best player there for 2023 and for 2024 especially, even if he doesn't give you much right out of the gate because he's new to the position, then you pull the trigger on that pick. I don't have a problem with that. And he hasn't played that well, I would say, to this point. He's also, I would say, played better than I expected from a guy who didn't play. He played zero defensive snaps, and so he had to play because of injuries. So I, my expectations are pretty low, and he's exceeded those low expectations. But I don't know. Maybe it'll work out. I don't want to call the guy a bust or say Brad Holmes made the, the wrong pick there. Because we can't say that yet. But to this point, they have not gotten enough out of that draft spot, that draft selection, and it's hurting them in this moment. And that those are all fair things to say. Secondly, I would say on the free agency point, right? What we're saying is totally true. DJ Chark is basically the one external big money free agent they brought in. And even that was a one-year deal. And they haven't brought anybody really in long-term for the defense in two years. And that's a big reason why you're seeing the defense struggle. When you take a pass basically on one of the two major ways to improve your team, on one side of the ball, that side of the ball is going to be naturally thinner, especially when you're drafting projects like Kirby Joseph along the way or Josh Pascal, where he's hurt and he's probably not going to play right away. I think the reason they're doing it is because they don't want to push. They don't want to spend big money on players right now when they're still building toward 2023 and especially 2024. They want to leave the money, as much money as possible to spend in those seasons when they come and they know what exactly what their needs are going to be. So I can see the approach, even if it like hurts now, but that's not to excuse Holmes either for all the reasons we've already talked about. Okay, just a couple more here. Long-suffering Lions fan wants to know. <laughs> Sorry, that cracks me up. <laughs> oh my God. Long-suffering Lions fan wants to know, was Omani Oruwarie being inactive a team discipline issue or is he truly just this bad or incapable of executing the, the scheme all of a sudden? Should we expect Jerry Jacobs to start in Dallas? What are your thoughts on the Omani situation? Amani has been an absolute disaster this season. He, when they talked about shaking things up on the de defense and personnel changes, I expected something to change there. I didn't fully expect an inactive, healthy scratch, but I mean, he was the worst cornerback in the league through four games, judging by pro football focus. And there were just, I know he's had a couple of injuries to open the season, had one to, at the end of last season, but it was a disaster. I said it. It was an absolute disaster. Passer rating allowed when targeted this year, 123.4, allowing 11.4 yards per reception. He was just getting eat up. You saw it in that Seattle game. Tyler Lockett down in the red zone just made a killing on him. Oh, gosh. 19 catches on 26 targets in coverage, and that's in three games of action this year. Worst cornerback rated by Pro Football Focus. And I'll say this. We had Campbell yesterday in Allen Park. He said the door is open for him to win his job back, and I believe that, but I fully believe that Ami will have to take that job back, especially with Jerry Jacobs inching back 
it wouldn't surprise me to see him start that Dallas game with another two weeks under his belt at all. That's another way to shake that defense up and see if Jacobs can bring his patented injury energy, excuse me, energy and some results to the field. He's a pit bull. He's still figuring, finding his footing in coverage. He doesn't offer much from the slot, but with Amanio on the bench, let Jerry see if he can take that job and move things forward. Yeah. Part shocked, part not shocked at yeah, all. Yeah, I agree. I, with you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I, the only thing that really surprises me about the Amani, the Amani situation is that he was like, he didn't dress versus just yeah. got demoted and they could have really used him obviously once all the injuries started to hit. They lost both Will Harris and Jeff Okuda, both of their starting outside cornerbacks at some point in that game against the Patriots. So you could use a guy like that. And Dan Campbell's rationale for deactivating him entirely was that Orowarie doesn't contribute on special teams. So if he's not going to start on defense, they can get more use out of the roster spot if they have somebody active who contributes in special teams. And that guy is Bobby Price, even though Bobby Price is not a very good corner. He's not even really a corner unless there's an emergency, which of course happened. But I... This is like one of the points where I really disagree with Campbell. Just because a guy like Oruwariye doesn't offer you anything on special teams, that doesn't mean you should deactivate him. His value is a guy who come off the bench behind your cornerbacks on the outside and give you some experience and at least hold down the fort. Far outweighs, I think, the, I don't know, seven special team snaps will get from someone like Chase Lucas, who's all, who's also activated a rookie cornerback. I think that's what Chase played was seven special team snaps. So like that, I don't think that value outweighs having someone like Oruwariye active. I don't like having him deactivate. basically left you with no competent cornerbacks besides, besides the two guys who started. And that just doesn't make sense to me, especially for a team that suffered a lot of injuries and has some depth issues. But yeah, that's all I have to say on that. So let's go with this one, Ben. We're getting a little long in the tooth here. Are players starting to doubt the coaching staff's ability to put them in a position to win? And that comes from Larry M. What do you think on that? What do you think about players' faith in Campbell and the staff? I don't feel a lack of buy-in. And we're actually back in the locker room again this season three times a week. Obviously, the mood has shifted a little bit, as it should. You'd be worried if it didn't over the last couple of weeks. There was just a different feeling when we were in the locker room in 2019 near the end of that season compared to right now. I don't feel the lack of buy-in. I don't feel the lack of trust. I'm sure there have been some WTF moments on the sideline at some of those coaching decisions, but I think a lot of these players know that the staff is figuring out on the fly with them too. Like I said, the mood's been down, but it should be after those last couple of weeks, but I don't feel a lack of buy-in. Yeah, I mean, you talk about 2019, I'll talk about 2018. Like <laughs> the first year, there was a lack of buy-in. Hell, going in the first game, there's a lack of buy-in. I had a conversation with a player, and I've talked about this before, but I had a conversation with a player going into the season opener. So the coaching debut of Matt Patricia in 2018, and I'm like, I forget exactly what we were talking about, like what I had said, but he responded, yeah, man, I don't have a good feeling about this. And man, that's that, like I'd already had some alarm bells like going off in my brain based on what some of the, Players were telling me about how things were going and some of the meetings and some of the things Patricia was saying and doing. And it got worse over time, but, but there's some seeds of doubt already being sowed before he, he coached a game. And But hearing that, got, like usually no matter who you are, from the Patriots on down to the Jaguars and everyone in between, like there's a sense of optimism going into a year that this could be the year that, that everything is in front of you. You can... I mean, that, that's just kind of the nature of football players and coaches is believing the best and that you can do it. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. And to hear that, I don't have a good feeling about this. I think that really spoke to where that team was at, not only physically coming out of a brutal training camp with Patricia, but just mentally being beat down and having some distrust of where that coaching staff was at. I, so I have felt it. I have seen it. I've heard it. I know what distrust of a coaching staff feels like because I've been there and I've been through it and I don't 
feel that now and things are bad and things have to get better like imminently but i don't feel a distrust of dan campbell and that's a good thing because once you start to feel that you usually don't get it back that would be the point if i were to feel it is when i would start saying hey maybe campbell's not the guy maybe this is not going to work and he has a lot to prove but i'm also not putting the guy in the hot seat yet and him commanding the locker room and having control of this team and where it's going is a big reason for that okay last question ben i think it's going to end on just again contrasting campbell with the last guy al chave wants to ask is dan campbell fat patricia 2.0 he's acting like the smartest man in the room he doesn't regret going for it on fourth down he's blamed the offense for the losses your I guess, like, just general thoughts on Campbell versus Patricia, and do you see a similarity there? God, no. God, no. I do not. And we were there when Patricia started hyping up his greatest defensive play call in the history of civilization, whatever the heck that was. It's a completely different vibe with Dan Campbell, and he's not, he doesn't regret his, he, and he sat up there and gave you all the reasons in the world behind his most questionable decision on that fourth and nine. Like you said, he's an aggressive guy. He's going to be aggressive, but right now, like you said, he doesn't have an NFL kicker. He looked at his two options on that fourth and nine. He said this out loud, taking two delay of game penalties and punting or just going for it. And he just went for it. I, I just, I don't think, I think there's a disconnect on that question. I don't connect arrogance with not regretting your decision and having faith in your decision making. He looks at his defense. He looks at his kicking situation. Yeah, he made a bad decision and it came back and he got the bad result through that bad decision. It's that I don't connect him not backing down on his fourth down decisions and aggressiveness as arrogance. I, I really don't. And like I said earlier, to end my point, we'll see that balance out as the talent gets better. But yeah, not th I'm not there. No way. No, especially because he has been the first person in the room to point the finger at himself when things have gone wrong and not in a plastic, I'm the guy in charge, I'll take the blame. Like that's a thing Matt Patricia really said. Like that's not really taking blame for something. That's just saying, I don't want to point the finger at somebody else. So just let me take it real quick. That, that's pretty disingenuous. Dan Campbell has gone up there repeatedly and said, I should not have gone like for the field goal. I freaking blew that call. That's an authentic response to a failed decision. It was a bad decision and he took ownership for it. And that's what you want because every coach is going to make those kinds of strategic errors, every single one of them, and especially the young ones. And Campbell's a young one. You just want to see growth. You want to see ownership for decisions that work out and the ones that don't. And that was something you didn't see with Matt Patricia. And I think it really spoke to the arrogance, smartest man in the room complex that he had. And that was just the public facing stuff that we saw. It was so much worse behind closed doors, as I understand it. And some of the meetings he had with coaches, with players, I have heard some real stuff on that guy. And you can understand why people didn't trust him. And Campbell is just the opposite. And it, might not, it might not work out, but it's not because the guy can't take the blame for something because he can. And that stands in stark contrast to the last guy. And I like that about Dan Campbell, that he's willing to say, I messed up and I need to be better in a do an authentic way versus just pretending everything is okay or I don't know. Yeah. It, the two men could not be any more different. All right, Ben, good stuff. That's what we got for today, I guess, for this week. Nice little mailbag, eh? Yeah, let's uh, close our computers and not come back for another week. I like that plan. I like that plan. All right, man, I'll see you next week. Yes, sir. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Thanks again.